When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello and welcome to The Price of Football, the show that looks at the money behind the beautiful game with me, Kevin Day, and Liverpool University's Kieran Maguire. Kieran, how are you? We, just, we saw each other, we've seen each other twice this week, Kieran, including a lovely yes. two and a half hour drive back from Leicester. <laughs> Two and a half hours for you. I, I got home at four a.m. and uh, I, I had to, I had my granddaughters staying with us. So um, yeah, they 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 hold no truck. It's six a.m. It's, it's grandpa <laughs> for Christ's sake. It's time to play Peppa Pig and making dinosaurs and God knows what else. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah I, I was I was I was a bit bleary. Although I, I'm guessing your three-year-old doesn't go, for Christ's sake, Granddad, it's time for Peppa Pig. To... <laughs> yes. Uh, yes, thank you to all the lovely people in Leicester. I've got, it's, it's questions day, Kieran. I've got, I've got one for you. Huh? How did that terrible, terrible sub-Katy Perry Swedish song win Eurovision Song Contest? You know people in Liverpool, Kieran. So ask questions. What's, what's going on? Norway should have won that. Well, Czechia. That's actually Ali told me off for taking it too seriously, which is a big change in my relationship to Eurovision from years gone by. Well, well yeah, and also, you know, I, I I knew the city of Liverpool would put on a good show because yeah. it's a, it's a city that knows how to party. And uh, when they said, "Oh yeah, yeah," some you know a Liverpool legends coming on, I thought, "All oh, right, you know, is it could it be Sir Paul? You know, could it be could it be uh, Echo and the Bunny Men?" And it turned out to be Sonia. <laughs> That'll be you in years to come. People say, here's the Liverpool legend opening, <laughs> opening the Eurovision Song Contest. It's Kieran Maguire. Our first question, Kieran. Oh, by the way, congratulations on the shirt you had on the other night. That was, I, 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 I felt slightly cruel when pointing out to the audience that it was true you were colourblind. But it, was a, it, was, it was a cracking purple skull outfit. It was really nice. Very good. Skulls and roses. Ah. Skulls and roses, oh, a bit of rock and roll hidden into the uh, into the in- event. Well, you see, you are rock and roll here. Let's let's start this. But we're we're two minutes in. We haven't talked about football yet. Let's do that. Um, Alex O'Neill has our first question, and Alex says, "I'm curious about FFP calculations in the championship. I'm a whole city supporter, and recently our owners spoke about us not being able to spend much more due to FFP. However, in the past two seasons of published accounts." we've made a net loss of £6 million. Clubs like Middlesbrough and Stoke, by comparison, have made losses in excess of £50 million. So how does this line up with the supposed £39 million loss uh, you're allowed? And why are we so much more constricted than they are? Right. Um, the reason for this, Alex, is actually clubs are only allowed to lose £15 million under the FFP rules. And then owners can top that up by a further 24. Um, now, in order to do that, you've, you've got to have 20. Yeah, and this is, all, all fans tend to assume that their owners quite cheerfully will hand across £24 million pounds yeah. over each three-year period. And some of them won't do it on principle because they feel that the club should be more sustainable. And some physically don't have it. You know, that whilst there are many very, very wealthy owners in, in the championship, that, that's, not, that's not all of them. Um, so, with with regards to Hull, in in my view, Hull are probably one of the best run clubs in the championship from a financial point of view. Um, but that's from a financial point of view. I appreciate if you're a Hull fan. Ultimately, you want to see the club competing for the championship. Um, they they are trying to do it on a longer on a longer route, you know, in terms of player recruitment, development, getting in a young manager, and so on. But it, it can be frustrating from a fan's point of view. I absolutely get that. Now, um, we've also got the fact that under the uh, FFP rules, strictly known as profitability and sustainability these days, remember some costs are excluded, infrastructure, academy, women, community, COVID, and promotion costs. Um, then it, it, with regards to the, the two clubs that, that you refer to, um, in the case of Stoke, I'm, I'm not saying 
I'm not saying they're gaming the system because that wouldn't be appropriate. Um, but they did have a load of player write-downs um, very soon after they were relegated from the Premier League. And when they, when they did come down from the Premier League, the way that it works is that in the first season in the Championship, you're allowed two years' worth of Premier League losses, which are £35 million, and one year worth of uh, EFL losses. So what they did was they dumped a load of costs um, into those early years so that they, they didn't come through. So, so for example, in, in year one in the championship, you've got two years of 35 million losses from the Premier League. So that's 70 plus one um, in the EFL championships. So that gives, allows you to lose 83. So there's a case for accelerating some of your losses. And I'm not saying that I did that. And then um, <laughs> just, just, just before the EFL clubs agreed, and this came through, I think this was on the 1st of July, 2021. Um, or was it 2020? Just before the EFL clubs agreed to not allow profits from the sale of the stadium to count towards financial fair play, um, by a pure coincidence, um, uh, Stoke City sold the Bet365 stadium at a thirty-three million pound profit, so just just so it was on the right side of the line, so it did count towards FFP. Now um, you, you've got to find somebody willing to buy the Bet Three Six Five Stadium and pay a lot of money for it. Fortunately, Bet Three Six Five, the owners of Stoke City, were willing to pay that large amount of money, and therefore that allowed Stoke to book another thirty-three million pounds worth of profit to offset against their FFP losses. So, so they were. Um, quite fortunate um, that uh, that somebody just happened to pop along and wanted to buy the stadium called Bet Three Six Five. In in the case of of Borough, uh, Borough have made eighty five million pounds worth of losses in the most in the three most recent seasons. Um, they've managed to get that down to below the thirty nine million limit through all of those costs I've, I've mentioned above. Um, that there were some pretty significant COVID costs. Um, that, that were incurred, um, so so that would have contributed as well. Um, but they they don't have a huge amount of of wiggle room. But um, Steve Gibson, the the owner of Middlesbrough, he he has put in that additional twenty four. So um, you know, it would be certainly in but well, it's, it's, of course it's in everybody's best interest to be promoted through the playoffs. But but Borough uh, won't have a lot of wiggle room this summer um, should they not go up. Kieran, we've had this conversation before. When you use phrases like I'm not saying they did that by pure coincidence and quite fortunate, these are code words that our audience have broken long ago. Kieran. <laughs> this is not the Enigma code here. And this is no exactly what yeah, play a right down. I've just written down Michael Elise, he's good, isn't he? But that's he obviously is. not what player write down is. What's what's player write down? Right. Um Let's say that, uh, and, and this has occurred in the case of Stoke. Let, let's say that you signed, uh, you signed a player. I think they, so. Was it, was it Michael Wimmer? They they signed for uh, you know, twenty thirty million pounds, um, and uh, after a season, you you go, he, he's a bit bobbins, isn't he? Um, and you've you've signed him on, let's say, for twenty million pounds on a four year contract. So under normal circumstances, you'd say, right, we'll amortise the player by five million a year. Um, so at the end of year one, the player's worth fifteen million in the books, and you go, well, we 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 we, we think he's rubbish. We, we, and we, we've, we've, we've tried selling him, and nobody's willing to offer us more than, let's say, six million pounds for him. So he's in the books at fifteen million. Nobody's willing to offer you more than six. So therefore, you're allowed to put through a write down of nine million. Um, I, I has to it has to be honest. There is scope for massage and manipulation when it comes to these numbers, and when we discuss this in one of the other questions a little bit later, um, because. What, what is a player worth? You know, it, it's uh, a player's a unique asset. It's it's a bit like buying a Banksy. It's a bit like buying a, an Andy Warhol painting or or, or, or something of, of, of that nature. Um, that there's no definitive market price. So this is where clubs can have uh, a bit of fun and games in, in terms of accelerating some of their costs um, into those years where they've got a bit of headroom from an FFP point of view. Not, of course, that I'm accusing Stoke City of doing this. Uh, that's another of your code words, Kieran, when you say not accusing. Uh, Alan Hemphill, <coughs> excuse me, has our next question. Um, and Alan, like you and I, Kieran, 
can't get his head around something. Uh, except Alan's implying there's only one thing he can't get his head around, whereas uh, the whole of modern life is, <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> is what we're struggling with. But Alan says, something I can't get my head around is buying players but leaving them at their club on loan. Take Saliba at Arsenal, for example. Before he started playing regularly this season, he spent three years on loan in France. I understand the gamble of buying an 18, 19-year-old for £20 million instead of waiting and possibly buying the same player three years later for £35 million. But is there more of a hidden gain to this that is not evident to people like me that we're not seeing? It seems more common for bigger clubs to buy players than leave them at their current club. So how are the costs amortised in these scenarios and what are the gains and benefits? Okay, if we, if we start off with the financial issue, and then we'll perhaps look at it from more of a, a football perspective, um, there are no amortisation benefits. You sign that player at the age of 18 on, on a £20 million deal, um, and let's say it's a five-year deal, it's £4 million a year amortisation, regardless of whether the player then subsequently goes out on loan or not. Um, what are the advantages? Well, clubs these days are far more strategic in terms of the way that they organise themselves. So you might be signing that 18-year-old with a viewpoint that he's probably not going to be able to get into the first team now. But our centre-half is 31. And in two years' time, that centre-half is going to be 33. And we're looking to replace him. So therefore, you sign the 18-year-old now with a view to bringing him into the um, the first team squad in in a couple of years time so it's it's yeah it's part of overall strategy and, and, and planning some clubs are better than that of others um it could be that you've got squad size issues although when the players are 18 it no- normally under 23 year old players I don't think they count to the same extent uh, in terms of your squad size um it could be that you're Watford um <laughs> and and that's one of my code words as well. And, 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 and I think I've covered this story so many times. I'll say no more than that. I think it's your um, it's your safe word as well now, Kieran, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, Thursday nights. Thursday nights um, uh, also, from from the point of view of player development, if you like the the culture of the club that you're buying from, um, then um, you. You might say, well, actually, we, we don't think he's he's ready for the first team yet. We also don't feel that he's ready for a, a geographical shift. Um, so, so we give him, you know, a, a bit, a few months to acclimatise. And, and sometimes, and sometimes that works out for everybody. You know, if you if you think about, you know, Wolf Saha, you you sold him to Manchester United, mm-hmm. and immediately went back on loan to Palace for the rest yeah. of the season, and and that led to the night of shame. Um, of course, which, which, which again, Brighton fans know that that's a code word as well. Um, but f- going back to sort of um, financial point of view, um, I, I, th- I think Alex is absolutely right. Sorry, so uh, Alan is absolutely right in that if the player does develop, then you are saving yourself fifteen or twenty million pounds in two years' time when the player's a lot better. Um, so, so that can be. But also, um, you know, players are elite athletes. There is competition for their services. And the big fear is that if you are Arsenal, if you are Chelsea, if you are Manchester United, whoever the club is going to be, um, if you don't sign the player because you want to see him develop, he could go to one of your rivals and then the chances of being able to extract that player from Chelsea to Manchester United becomes far more difficult because not only is is there going to be uh, potentially a higher fee, it could be that the player doesn't actually want to move because they're already at an elite club. So sometimes it's it's a case of getting ahead of the competition. So th- there's a variety of, of reasons. I mean, uh, Alan makes reference to the bigger clubs doing this more often. Um, yes. The the jaundiced part of me says, sadly, uh, many clubs see football players as commodities rather than as young men, um, and, and therefore they just look at them as a trading asset point of view. Um, and, and sometimes it, it's a bit of a gamble, and it just never comes off. So, if, you know, going back to the club I support, Brighton, we we signed a centre half called Matt Clark on on a four year deal. Um, he he then spent one year on loan at West Brom and two years on loan at Derby. And we sold him at the end of three years, having never played a game for the club. He, 
because the, the the bigger clubs, the Premier League clubs in particular, tend to have loan managers. And what they are doing is that they are constantly monitoring the player. Um, they're in contact with the player. They're in contact with the coaches at the club, which is that. And uh, if, if, that's, if there's any loan managers watching this, and I, I know we've had uh, one one on the show before, um, you know, who wants to sort of explain in more depth, we'd, we'd, we'd love to have a chat with you just to just to sh- uh, look at it from uh, yeah, both the development and and from the from the club's financial perspective. Hmm. I'll, I'll have a word with uh, Mark Bright. He does loan managing at Palace. Cool. Yeah, it, it, it won't be a cheery word, but we'll, we'll get him on. <laughs> um, I, I'd actually, <laughs> you, you, you mentioned the words night, night of shame. I'd actually started going through my Rolodex of nights of shame until I realised you, <laughs> you, you were talking about football <laughs> and the playoff semi-final. Um, apologies, by the way, to people. If I, I do sound a bit frog in the throaty today, normally that would be because of shouting at football yesterday, but we were such comfortable winners. Mm. I didn't have to do any shouting. All the shouting, I'm afraid, was done at the TV last night. And it, it turns out that shouting with uh, a mouthful of popcorn does bad things to your throat. At one stage, Ali said, I was like a machine gun. It's like popcorn bullets hitting the screen. Stop giving 12 points to Sweden. Um, Rodri Rowland has a very interesting question, Kieran, specifically about a topic that we've talked about a lot recently and is becoming, I think, an obsession with some of our listeners. And Rodri says there's been a lot of talk about the Saturday three o'clock blackout recently, mm. which made me wonder how the typical match day income of a Saturday 3pm game for a League One or League Two club compares to the income generated by a game that falls outside the blackout. Is there a big enough difference to cause the blackout to remain in place, which I, I think is an interesting point of detail about this subject, Kevin. Yes, yes. And under the new EFL deal, which is commencing in 2024, the 3pm blackout is going to remain. Yeah. Um, in terms of the research has been done, and, and it's is, it's a wee bit hit and miss. Um, what we have seen is that for clubs in the EFL, if they are playing a match midweek as opposed to three pm on a Saturday, um, attendances were around about four point five percent lower. Um, but that also has to be viewed in the context is that the EFL attendances are pretty. Yeah, they're they're very buoyant. At present, you know, people are uh, you know, getting it. First of all, it's a great product, um, and secondly, you know, we've we've had this mantra: football's the most important of the unimportant things in life. And actually, when when times are tough, it's it's sort of the one thing which you have got to look forward to in, in well, you know, in, in life, which is quite a struggle for many of us. So, therefore, people are saying, "Well, yeah, perhaps I won't go out for a meal, or perhaps I'll you know I'll cut back a bit on this, that, or the other." But I really want to go to the football because it's a chance to see the friends. It's a chance to create and share memories and so on. Um, but also, um, there, there was when iFollow was introduced a few years ago, um, it was noticed that uh, midweek attendances were down 8.8%. So oh. that, that, is, that is quite significant. Right. Um, so I think there was a fear that um, should matches be available for streaming, at 3 p.m., there would have been a negative impact, which would more than offset the the, the additional revenues generated through iFollow. Um, so it, it it is a tricky one. Um, I think the EFL have done their sums. By all accounts, the the clubs who voted on the new deal voted it through uh, unanimously. So I think there's there, there's you know, and we discussed it in more depth uh, on last last Thursday's show. Um, but certainly that uh, there there is. Uh, there is an attendance impact, and, and yeah, you know, I'd always say it's a bit, bit like, uh, you know, a bit like Eurovision last night, or perhaps you know, going to Glastonbury. It, it's far more fun to be there than watch it on telly, uh, yeah, especially from a popcorn machine gun perspective. Yeah, I, I, I disagree with you on Glastonbury, Kieran. I'll, I'll happily watch it on telly because I've got a toilet in my house. <laughs> Actually, going there, doing comedy in front of five thousand hippies. <laughs> That's a sweeping generalisation, I understand. But, uh, Simon Dorset, oh, almost. Oh, if only Glastonbury was in Dorset, <laughs> yes. that would have been a fantastic link. Uh, Simon Dorset has our next question. Um, uh, Simon's a QPR fan. Uh, better luck next season, Simon. It wasn't good this year, was it? 
Um, Simon says the slogan, 20 is plenty, is often banded around when fans are discussing ticket prices. Uh, and I know it was a slogan for the FSA, I think, for a, a while. Uh, and Simon says, I know ticket prices include VAT and a levy to the Football League. Um, the, and ticket revenue is far more important outside the Premier League. But what other costs are there? And how much revenue would a club actually make from a £20 ticket? Which is something we very rarely discuss. I mean, I, I still think £30. You know, I've got my ticket for Fulham, £30 at our age strikes me as a lot of money to watch a football match Kieran even now and I think £20 is probably reasonable for a, a, a football game but what we never discuss is how much money the club would make if tickets were capped at that price yes so um if we take a look at a £20 ticket, Simon's absolutely right to first of all say, well, you've got VAT, which is 2120 So the VAT element is £3.33. Um, then there is the EFL levy on match day ticket sales. The, the EFL levy is 3%. So that's a further 15 pence. 50 pence. So that means that clubs receive effectively a net £16.17 from a £20 ticket. And then you know, we are operating in technological times. Um, the, the chances, you know, most most grounds are, are moving towards a cash free existence um, from from an operational point of view, from a security point of view, from a uh, stopping the uh, stopping the owner of the club demanding the contents of the of the safe point of view. All all of these things help. I'm not saying that latter's ever occurred, of course, and, and, I, and I certainly won't go into the reasons on air as to why he needed the money so urgently. Um, but um, the, the other people that take the money, it, it tends to be the people that are operating the the systems. Um, you know, so we, so we some some clubs are uh, have relationships with Ticketmaster and, and other. Uh, other ticketing organisations, um, and, and I've got a big shout out here for Robert Smith of the Cure. Not only is a man who I've got a huge man crush on all my life because he's a god, uh, but he's he's exposed, he's shouted down the absolute scumbags who are Ticketmaster. Yeah, the amounts the amount that they charge is obscene for what they actually do. Yeah, um, and I, I went on to. Um, I've, I've just got a ticket because uh, I'm, I'm doing a bit of teaching in, in the States in the summer. So I'm going to the, the Premier League summer series. So for uh, uh, I've, I've got myself a $60 ticket. Oh, the, the Baroness doesn't know this yet. She thinks I'm just teaching. Uh, <laughs> why, why, are you, why are you spending? You, you don't normally spend that, that much of time. And you go, oh, well, yeah, I'm, I'm in demand. I'm in demand. Um, yeah, so I'm, I'm, I'm nipping across to, to Philly uh, to see Chelsea play uh, Brighton. Um, and for a $60 ticket, Ticketmaster have charged me $23.35 in God knows what wow. in terms of booking fee, uh, uh, t- uh, ticket download fee. Yeah, for the for the privilege of me downloading yeah. a ticket onto my iPhone, they are charging me money. Yeah. So, yeah, it's so um, – but – for your twenty-pound ticket, whoever is involved in in the system, and yes, I, I don't deny that these people have costs, um, uh, but what tends to be the case is that you you absorb those costs at the club. You quote a thirty-five pounds, whereas if you're booking for um, you know, to, to see a to see an entertainer, it's thirty-five pounds plus the fees on top. Um, so, so I, I would imagine that you know. You, the club's probably getting somewhere in the region of fifteen pounds from a twenty pound ticket. It's yeah, Palace, as Palace often do, uh, make announcements and then they're slightly astounded when people are not happy about them. And they announced recently that uh, they've got a partnership. It's always a partnership, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Uh, with Ticketmaster from next season, and then was astonished that everyone went, "What? It's going to cost us even more money!" And had to make all these promises that. It, it wouldn't. They're not. They're not a popular uh, brand, are they? Robert Smith, oh, they're horrible. I, I, absolutely horrible. I like, I, they are horrible. And Robert Smith is right. And I, I'm, I'm glad he put his foot down and made that stand. All I'll say about Robert Smith is, every now and again, why can't he just paint a smile on his face? He's, he puts that big lipstick on. He, just, just turn. He brings, just, he brings smiles to everyone. Just, do, just no, get, no. He, he brings upside down frowns, Kieran. 
which is <laughs> which, as we know, is very different to a smile. You, you, this is what baffles me. And I've said this before. The you know you talk about taking the VAT element off a twenty pound ticket, but the club gets the VAT back eventually, don't they? Um, the club. The club is responsible for handing over the VAT, but the club at the same time, when the club buys something, it is allowed to deduct the VAT on the things that it buys from the VAT on the things that it sells. So right. it pays across the net amount. Right, okay. I, 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 I simply can't get my head around I'd love to meet the person who invented, I don't know, somebody, does somebody invent a tax? But it just <laughs> baffles me. This episode of The Price of Football is brought to you by Manscaped. With summer approaching fast, Manscaped is here to ensure your body is ready for the wild with their game-changing grooming and hygiene products. Don't be the guy at the beach with Austin Powers' chest hair. It's time to get ready for summer by going to manscaped.com for 20% off and free shipping with the code PRICEOFFOOTBALL. Manscaped is dedicated to helping increase your confidence and level up your full body grooming game with the Performance Package 4.0. The kit comes with the essential Lawnmower 4.0 waterproof cordless body trimmer and a ton of other liquid formulations to turn around your grooming routine. Whether you're trimming your chest or the treasure chest in your pants, This is the best trimmer on the market. It features a ceramic blade designed to cut hair on loose skin and to reduce grooming accidents thanks to its advanced skin-safe technology. Having the right tools for grooming is essential. Do yourself a favour and always use the right tools for the job. So get 20% off and free shipping with the code PRICEOFFOOTBALL at manscaped.com. That's 20% off with free shipping at manscaped.com and use the code PRICEOFFOOTBALL. This episode of The Price of Football is brought to you by the AI-powered workspace Notion. What if you had access to tomorrow's tools today in Notion You do. It's the AI-powered workspace where any team can turn ideas into action. My career is sort of a bit like being a butterfly, and I'm always jumping from project to project. So therefore, Notion helps me from summarising meetings notes and automatically generating action items to getting answers to any question in seconds. If you can think it, you can make it. And Notion is for everyone. Whether you're a Fortune 500 company or a freelance football finance lecturer. You can try Notion for free when you go to notion.com slash price of football. That's all lowercase letters, notion.com slash price of football, and start turning ideas into action. That's notion.com slash price of football. Hi, I'm Steve Lamack, and every week I'm joined by Music Allies Head of Insight, Stuart Dredge, on The Price of Music, the weekly podcast all about the money behind the music industry. In each episode, we discuss the very latest goings-on in the music business and dig into the finances behind the big stories. So whether you're a music lover who just wants to know more about what really goes on in the industry, or you're an aspiring musician, manager or label owner who wants some inside knowledge on how Spotify's financial model really works, or what the future holds for independent live music venues, this is a show for you. Subscribe to The Price of Music in your podcast app now. See you soon. next question comes from Paul Salvin, Kieran. And we have Neil Doncaster, uh, the head honcho of Scottish football, joining mm. joining us soon. So this is something I think I will put to him as well, if it turns out that Paul Salvin's information is correct. Because Paul says, I'm sure I read somewhere that despite English and Scottish teams qualifying for the Champions League from separate countries, the TV deal is all under one UK contract. If this is the case, how will English teams be affected by two Scottish teams qualifying for the group stages this season? And how does the TV deal break down for each club? Okay. Um, the way that UEFA distributes its prize money is uh, is that it has four pots. 
The first pot is um, what's referred to as the starting fee. So if you qualify for the Champions League, you get around about 15 or 16 million euros regardless. And yeah, that's before your ticket sales, that's before any bonuses from sponsors and so on. So a quarter of it goes uh, to to the participants. Then um, 30% is allocated on how you do in the competition. Uh, so it works out as around about 2.8 million euro for a win in the group stages and 900, just over 900,000 for a draw. Um, and as you, if you then qualify for the knockout phase, again, that's graded. 30% is allocated on coefficients, uh, a 10 year coefficient. And that's there. Um, I'm not saying that it's there to protect the cartel who are in favor of the Super League, but it's there to. Uh, protect the cartel who are in favour of the Super League. Um, so, so, and the reason for this is, is, let's say that Barcelona or Real Madrid or whoever it's going to be, they have an absolutely dreadful year in the Champions League and they get knocked out at the group stage. Well, this is to protect them. So it's, it's a parachute payment called something else. Um, uh, and what happens is that each of the 32 teams in the Champions League, and this will be extended to 36 from 24-25, um, is, is graded on the basis of their participation in the Champions League over the last 32 years. And the club at the top, I think it gets, it works out as about a million euro per position. So the, the Real Madrid, because they've won the Champions League five times in the last 10 years, and yeah, it has to be said, as much as I loathe Real Madrid, they are absolutely brilliant in this competition. You've got to, you've got to, give, them, uh, you've got to give them props for that. Um, so they will get £32 million, And the side at the bottom, and I think the side at the bottom this season was possibly Glasgow Rangers because they've, 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 they've not been in, in uh, Europe, the Europe, that European competition for a while. They, they, would, they would be, I think, uh, the, the, the second or the first lowest. So they'd have got one or £2 million. Um, and then we come to the area which, which I think is, is Paul specifically referring to, and this is known as the market pool, but only 15% of the money is allocated on the market pool. Now, the market pool says if you are, um, if, if you are Spanish TV, German TV, British TV, um, and you are putting more, you are paying more money to UEFA than the clubs under your jurisdiction are entitled to take more money out. Um, and therefore, we get this complication because clearly BT Sport pay more for Champions League rights than any other broadcaster, and therefore British clubs take more money out than any other uh, individual nation. My understanding, and, and these figures aren't precise, is that ninety percent of that money goes to the clubs in England, and ten percent goes to the clubs in Scotland. Um, based on sort of the what, what yeah the, the justification is if you take a look at the relative sizes of the population of England and Scotland, um, that, yeah that's it's around about sort of yeah nine or ten to one, um, and there's there's various uh, there's various algorithms um, that go into it, but as far as Scotland is concerned, uh, the way that the market pool is allocated between the two clubs, part of which is based on how they perform. But if you win the Scottish Premiership, you get 55%. And if you are second in the Premiership, you get 45% of the Scot of the Scottish pool, which is allocated on a positional basis. So um, it, it's spreadsheet heaven um, <laughs> for, for, for people uh, who, uh, who, who enjoy that, that type of activity. Um, our next question, Kieran, comes from Liam Kirk. Uh, and when I've asked the question, I'll explain something to Liam, which I think oh. he'll be pleased to hear about. Uh, Liam Kirk says, as someone who follows both the UK and US versions of football, a growing trend within the US game is to include voidable years in a player's contract. These voidable years are effectively considered to be dummy seasons added to the end of the contract in order to reduce the impact of signing bonuses against a salary cap for each of the contracted seasons. With amortisation being such a popular topic on the podcast, could you foresee the use of voidable mm -hmm. years within a contract creeping into the game with the intention of reducing the annual amortisation charge associated with player purchases? Now, Liam, you may be interested to know, on our two-and-a-half-hour journey back from Leicester the other night, Kieran and I uh, pretty much put the world to rights. Uh, we, we did. We spoke about we spoke about a wide range of topics. Kieran was f 
really interesting and passionate about education. We talked about all sorts of things. Rishi Sunak's ears would have been burning. But the subject, this question was, was in my head. And I, I'd, there was a context in which I've, I said to Kieran, ah, we've got, we've got a question about that uh, uh, coming up on Sunday. And, and Kieran said, well, don't ask me that now because it will spoil the surprise on Sunday. But also, I couldn't ask him because I couldn't for the life of me remember the phrase voidable years. So I was going, <laughs> I said, it's about contracts, Kieran. It's, it's America, something something happens every 365 days. Oh, God. So that took us two junctions on the M1. Uh, but anyway, <laughs> voidable years, Kieran. It's an interesting question. Do you know the answer? Yeah, um, I, I took a look at this, and it's it's an intriguing way of uh, having fun and games, and again, not manipulating the numbers. But but what happens um, in in US franchise sports? There is a pretty strict salary cap. So so let's say that you've agreed to pay a player a. Uh, Twenty million pound bonus or twenty million dollar bonus, um, and, you, and the player signed a three year contract. So that works out as six point six seven million dollars a year. And you go, well, if we pay him the bonus on top of the base salary, um, that's that's going to go above our wage cap. So what we'll do is we will say um, we will pay the bonus over five years. So now we've got twenty million dollars over five years, um, and we say to the player, look. We ain't going to be employing you in years four or five, but but what we will allow be able to do is we say, well, the bonus is twenty million. We're going to spread that over over five years. It's it's only four million dollars a year, um, and then when it gets to year three, you go, yeah, okay, we're 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 fessing up now. The player's going to go, but what it's done, it's given you a couple of years with a lower contribution towards your wage cap and what you're doing is you're you're pushing a problem down the road because in year three you've now got a problem in year three you've now got to go and put three of that five years bonus against your wage cap but hopefully either the wage cap has risen or you've made savings elsewhere or you managed to trade the player to go elsewhere and and that 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 bonus but to a certain extent goes with him so it it is uh it's 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 fascinating uh if you like that type of thing. And, and I, I suspect I'm in the 0.01% of people that go, blimey, that's 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 quite clever, that. Um, could that operate here in the UK? Um, I, I think it it would not be allowed because um, the, the rules for player registration are, are very much set in stone by FIFA and the individual governing bodies. And there's no way that a player would agree to um, have a contract which gives them three years' worth of wages and two years at the end of it where they might or might not get a bonus. Um, it, it simply it, it simply wouldn't be ex- it wouldn't be acceptable to the authorities because I think they'd see it as, as gaming the system uh, to an extent even that they're not prepared to go along with. And I don't think that players and their representatives would want it because, um, you know, sadly, we, we are operating in a world in which, uh, you know, Clubs are, are not uh, are always paying wages and costs on time, and, and pushing a problem down a road. Uh, and we, when we have seen uh, issues to do with with players, um, you know, and, and Barcelona come to mind, where they've deferred wages, and then those deferrals they've tried to defer again. I think there's, there's a breakdown in trust now between uh, between players and uh, players and clubs. And I don't think that FIFA or UEFA or, or the uh, Premier League, etc., would allow it anyway. Yeah, I'm quite glad I didn't ask you that question now on the M1. <laughs> you would have been taking your hands off the wheel and gesticulating all sorts. Doing of things. the full, full Magnus Pike, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> there's one. There's one for the kids. <laughs> yes, uh, he was a popular scientist. Everybody back in the day. Was that Finley going in or coming out? It, it, Finley was coming in. He, oh. he, he heard the word amortisation and his, his ears prick up. Ah, oh, how's how's his squeaky toy? Um. Well, we, we've we've lost his uh, squeaky armadillo. We don't oh, know no. what he's done with it. Oh my! So yeah, yeah, it's it's uh, he's, he's got a bit of a he's got a bit of a sad face. Oh, well, we just need you just pace around the house, surely, and you'll get a squeak from somewhere, wouldn't you? <laughs> yes, it's amazing. Like a divining rod. We had um, it was lovely. Our audience in Derby the other night, in Leicester, rather, <laughs> beg your pardon, were 
absolutely lovely. They were great, weren't they? But the uh, uh, at least seventy five of them were just. Oh, is uh, is Finley here? Yes. No, he's, no, he's not. Oh, okay. I'm, I'm swear, I swear, two people left. Yes. About eighteen people left because the Baroness wasn't there. Um, <laughs> uh, the reason I say Derby is because our next question is about uh, Derby indirectly. I'm, I'm almost reluctant to answer, ask it, Kieran, because it, it means that you put Derby County down in the list of topics for tomorrow, <laughs> and the poor sods panic again. That's right, and also Samaritans in in the East Midlands, their their phones start ringing. As soon as I put up the the show the show notes before before we di- uh, put the show out, yeah, it's. Uh... I, I I generally didn't know what to do, Kieran. The other night, all, all those Leicester City fans had so many questions about their club going down, and I mean, God love you. I, I think you do genuinely care about other clubs going down, Kieran. When I I just have to put the smile on and go, yeah, I I really hope you. Do real well, I, as long as Palace don't go down, I don't give a toss. But it's not the sort of thing you can say as the host of a live show when surrounded by Leicester City fans um, and two Brighton fans. I don't know how you do it, Kieran. Do you book Brighton fans to turn up wherever we go <laughs> just to sit down the front? We, we, we fans from all over. We're from Rotherham and uh, we Sheffield did. United. Yes, we, do, we did. Uh, Celtic as well. Celtic, uh, yes. Uh, the nice young man for Celtic asked a really interesting accountancy question, which... You really liked it. We had some cracking questions. Uh, I do like the fact that the uh, both the Brighton fans were quite posh, and one of them was called Charles. You've got a friend called Julian. We, we both got. Oh, that's a fair point. Yeah. So I was I was trying to think of a pithy comeback then, Kira, but you're quite right. You pulled the rug from under my feet. And uh, Julian, no, it's not a proper working class name, is it? Also, Al Julian is not a proper working class goalkeeper, is it? <laughs> uh, so Lawrence, <coughs> Lawrence has a uh, hi Julian. Lawrence has a question about Derby County indirectly. Uh, Lawrence says during one of your many discussions about oh, could this be Lawrence Pasini? Do you think, Kieran? <laughs> could be, <laughs> could be. He needs to learn these things. Uh, Lawrence says during one of your many discussions about Derby County, you said they decided not to amortise their players evenly to save on cost in early years. In football club accounts, is there any evidence of clubs doing the opposite, i.e. accelerating the amortisation in years where they have scope under the FFP rules in order to save them the costs in future years? I guess the fact the calculation is spread over three years mitigates this a bit, but there can sometimes be justification in accounting and writing down a player's value more than the straight book value if you think the player may be worth even less. I'm glad I asked you now what writing down means, Kieran. Mm. Yes. Um, well, you can. Uh, you, you cannot have uh, bl- creative amortization as such, and, and especially um, the EFL have introduced rules. And, and personally, I don't think they have to do that. I, I think the accounting rules are quite uh, quite uh, uh, certain here. But the EFL actually have a specific rule introduced now that you have to use straight line amortization. But um, what you can do is you can use this writing down approach, which we refer to as impairment, um, as a way of accelerating uh, your amortization costs without specifically calling it uh, accelerating your amortization costs. And this is of benefit for those clubs who are being relegated. So if we take a look at Aston Villa in 2016, when the club was relegated from the Premier League, um, they they had a bit of headroom with regards to their FFP calculations. So by a pure coincidence, they wrote down the value of their squad by £35 million. And the advantage that that gives is that if you accelerate your uh, amortization cost through this uh, through this write down it reduces the value of the remain of the pool of players and therefore it reduces your future amortization fee when you are in the championship and remember in the premier league you're allowed to lose 105 million pounds over 3 years so therefore it makes sense to accelerate your your costs in the premier league, premier league and it decelerates them in the championship when your FFP loss is that much lower. So um, creative accounting, yeah, possibly. Uh, but uh, Lawrence is exactly right uh, that uh, you you can uh, have a bit of fun and games with the numbers. And some clubs do that to a greater extent than others. Um, Kieran, I'm slightly spooked by our penultimate question. Uh, the reason being, you remember, 
on the last pod, I think it was, we jokingly talked about players being sold in a kind of horse-type auction in Tipperary. Mm. Yes. And this next question is not only about players being auctioned, it comes from Clive Steed. That's that's spooky, Kieran, isn't it? Oh, yeah. Or yeah. a massive coincidence, like most spooky stories, but what a <laughs> cracking name as well, Clive Steed. I mean, John, John Steed from The Avengers is the coolest man ever. In, oh, absolutely. In any fiction or literature, John Steed, up. Oh, Adore that man. If only I could wear a bowler hat like he did. But Clive Steed says basically, are players ever auctioned? Assuming they had a valid third party medical and agreed on a minimum wage, surely this could be a good way to get the highest price. It would also be very entertaining and would give those pointless transfer programs a bit more to talk about. Um yes, this is not dissimilar to the draft that we have in, in US franchise sports where uh, college players are are picked, um, and it's it's not an auction as such, but it's certainly it's it's become a big event um, in the in the NFL calendar, in the NBA calendar, and so on. Um, I, I think we 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 have a slightly more complex situation here in that quite often, um, if you are trying to sign a player, you will be spending four or five months trying to agree that the small print of the deal. So um, yes, it makes sense if the players are medical in advance, um, you know, agreeing a minimum wage. You know, if yeah, Some players and some representatives are looking for the maximum wage and, and therefore they, they would advise their clients to go where, to, you know, to follow the money. Um, I, I think players are auctioned, uh, the, the better players, except it's it's effectively done through the media. Yeah, we, we've we've got an auction of Manchester United at present, except it's being done through a series of sealed bids um, and then going back for more and more. Um, but to have a, a formal auction of players, um, it's it, it could be agreed. You know, the, the seller would have to agree to a minimum price. You could have the buyers. Um, I think the player uh, would perhaps. Want and, and here I, I I would I would feel quite protective towards players. Um, you know, it, it could be that, that the player doesn't want to move for you know, for family reasons to too far where they currently live or for cultural reasons and, and so ever. Um, so you know, in order to protect the player um, to a greater extent, I, I would uh, I would feel slightly uneasy and and also I I don't like the idea of human beings being bought and sold as commodities at the best of times and. This, this, for me, has got slightly uneasy connotations. Hmm. Yeah, see, if you, you don't like the idea, none of us really like the idea, Kieran, of human beings, football players being bought and sold. So you won't like my suggestion that once they're bought at an auction, they should be branded as well. You just put a hot iron with CPFC on them so you know it belongs to you. That, that, think, yeah. the agent would, think the agent would like that? No, I... I... No. I don't like that at all. No. <laughs> I can tell, but you're silent. I can tell you're glowering at the screen now, Kieran. <laughs> Our last question comes from Dave Anchors. And Dave says, watching live Premier League games on TV this season, I realised that the use of club badges on screen rather than the three-letter abbreviation to show which sides are playing is limited to Sky. This got me wondering why it had been done. If the intention was to make it easier for viewers then I think it's misguided, as many viewers may struggle to recognise club badges. For example, my wife has been watching football for nearly 50 years, but doesn't recognise many beyond her own club, especially those overseas. Of course, it could just be the result of some marketing types wanting to justify their existence by refreshing the presentation. Alternatively, could it be that it's justification for extra payments to the clubs for their intellectual property? Um, I don't think it's extra payments for their intellectual property, but I think the clubs um, are quite keen to extend their brand. And um, Manchester City don't like being referred to as MCI. Yeah. yeah so, right. uh, and also, it, it, a, lot, a lot of these, especially when they use these three, three, three-letter uh, abbreviations, it's not. It's not particularly intuitive. A lot of times, I, I, I sometimes look at them and go, "What, what yeah, on earth? Okay. Uh, what, what on earth is it?" Um, so, by by linking the badge that you're seeing on the pitch to the, the badge in the presentation in, in the, you know, the the top corner, um, it, it is it is simply a, a much broader issue in terms of brand recognition and brand extension, um, and, and it is being done from a, from an intellectual property point of view. Uh, but uh, you know, I, I think you, I think. As a 
as a fan, let's face it, Kevin. When we were when we were collecting our shoot tables mm. back back in the day, we knew every badge of every club, That's whether true. it was Aloha or Manchester United. Yeah. We we knew them off by heart, and I think I think it should be part of the national curriculum personally. All oh, right, so you're you're blaming Mrs. Anchors here for not being able to recognise the badge. Is that right? Well, baby, I think I think, it's, I think, it's, I think you know, it's, you know the, the, the the country the country's been going to hell in a handcart for many years. We, we, this is this is one way of trying to reverse that. We we had this conversation. I mean, as as a kid, I learned about geography and social history from club badges mm. and club nicknames. It's <coughs> it's always quite galling for me as a Palace fan if you're watching a live game on TV and you're four nil down after twenty minutes. And we're referred to as cry. Yes. So it's just like, it's just, can you can we not change that to something else? But it's it's it's, it's quite interesting because every now and again we'll be watching the game and Ali will just go, who, what team is that meant to represent? Because they, as mm. you say, they're they're not always intuitive, are they? These, these things. But it's a very good question, Dave. Thank you, and give our regards to Mrs. Anchors. Uh, if you'd like to make a small monthly contribution to the pod, that would be very kind of you. Please go to patreon.com slash price of football. And if you have a question you'd like answered on the show, email us at questions at priceoffootball.com and we will get to the question as soon as we possibly can. In the meantime, I shall hand you over to Mr. Kieran Maguire for his customary farewell. Well, uh, thanks as always for everybody um, from Patreon. And uh, we are having our end of season quiz uh, in in uh, just under three weeks for for, for patrons as a way of saying thank you and uh, if, you, if you're doing nothing on a Friday night and you want to be entertained by two slightly <laughs> bewildered middle-aged men um, then then you'll be saying ah, I'm so glad I'm a patreon of the price of football um, but there's there's another way in which you can support the club uh, support, support support the show um, uh, as, as well as yeah, as well as the live shows and we're coming to Plymouth next week and, and we were delighted we the, re- the reason we, we were planning on doing ninety minutes uh, at Leicester but we said because producer guy wasn't there to <laughs> to manage us we will answer every single question <laughs> and we quite cheerfully and there we go. Jesus Christ, we started at half seven. It's half past ten and we're still going. I know. Um, and, and, and we got to talk about football as well, which he would have been yes. really, really cross about. There's a, quite a few conversations. Didn't have any hint of football finance in them, Kieran. It, wasn't it? it was great, wasn't it? Yes, it was. We, we were like kids. We were very, very, very disgraceful. Um, but there's another way of supporting the show, and, and that's to give us a review using your your app. Um, and uh, you know, f- feel free to say whatever you choose. You could even say you would rather have the show presented by Penfold from Danger Mouse and Magnus Pike. Well, I think that would be a very intellectual show and very, very physical as well. Yeah, Penfold would have to hold his face really close to the screen, though, wouldn't he? Yes. He wouldn't be able to see it from where I'm sitting, for example. <laughs> Google Google both of them, kids. Uh, Penfold. Penfold was a great character, wasn't he? He was. What old Danger Mouse used to treat him abominably, I think. What a way to end the show, Kieran. Reminiscing Bye-bye, about... BAFTA. <laughs> oh, they've got long gone, Kieran. Yes. <laughs> How did they close the show this week? By getting cross about, they started by being cross about Eurovision, and they ended by being cross about the way Danger Mouse treated his sidekick. Bye, everybody. Bye. The price of football. I'm for the